how could I justify being higher priced? Well, it really came down to what we call creating the best experience for the customer. And, you know, we started to really talk about what that was and define that and everything from showing up one time and treating the customer's property with respect and care, communicating clearly, kind of having being the high price, low risk contractor versus the low to moderate price, higher risk contractor. And, and it just took on a life of its own. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And he's back. One of my favorite people, Mr. Charlie Gundell, renewal by Anderson of Orange County. Hi, Charlie. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It's good to be with you again. I think this is like the third time. Charlie's one of those people that I could have back like every week we could have a conversation and it would never end all of the good advice and experience and inspiration that would come out of Charlie. So I, I was just telling Charlie before we turned on the recording that my thought was he was the very first person I called, but when the world got shut down and I was like, Charlie, what's happened? What's going to go on here? We recorded that. We actually made it a podcast. And back, remember that? That was like uh, middle of March of last year. We had no idea what was going to happen. And what ended up happening was just a boom for home improvement. And now that things are, uh, you know, kind of coming back to normal, as far as us being able to move around, not have to wear masks, go, go out, be in public, that may be normal. But what's not normal is a lot of the stuff related to business. We've got inflation. We've got production problems. We've got labor issues. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So what are you thinking? <laughs> what's going on with you as we sit here at the beginning of June of 2021? Well, you know, we had a sales meeting this morning. It's only the second in, in-person sales meeting we've had since March of last year. We were doing uh, two Zoom calls per week because we didn't have, really have our sales team together. But we had one last Thursday face-to-face. We had one today face-to-face. And as I was reflecting back on it, I, I told him, I said, you know, in all the years I've been in this business, we've and we've got a lot of new sales reps on our team, but we've really been growing so if this was for them, but also for my more veteran sales reps, these are kind of unprecedented times that we're living in. I've never seen such a home improvement boom like we have now. We've been running with about a two to three week backlog on booking sales appointments since probably January. And, you know, we've been growing our sales team. We've we've had our, this, I think we have our, fifth sales class this year that's four, I'm sorry, fourth sales class this year that started this past Monday, June 7th. And, you know, we're up around 32 sales reps. We want to be, we're going to be at 40 by Labor Day. 
And we've actually pulled back on a lot of our marketing. And we're still, we've got the lead time now down to about eight or nine days. But as we've added sales reps and sales capacity, cut back on marketing, kind of trying to manipulate the levers so we're not too far out. But yeah, we're, we're, it's, I've never seen appointments. You know, our, our average sale is up and around the $25,000 range. One of the key things we track is revenue per appointment. So you take all the jobs you sell divided by the number of appointments you run and you get your RPA. And last year, our RPA was about 5,600. This year, it's 7,100 year to date. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, every appointment we run, whether we sell it or not, we're bringing in $7,100 of revenue. So it's unprecedented times. But, you know, and we've been on a obviously a growth curve. We've been recruiting and hiring sales reps. We've been recruiting and hiring installers. Right now we're running about, I think, about 27 or 28 crews. And we're still looking to hire more people. But the other thing that's, and I'm sure other people are running this too now, is the supply chain disruptions and the long lead times on materials. You know, and I've never seen so many back orders from suppliers as I'm seeing now where it's just taken the materials not coming in in a consistent, predictable manner. So it plays havoc with scheduling installations and manpower adjustments and things like that. So, but unprecedented times. And, and I mean, I've seen times like this in the past, not quite as strong or powerful as now, but I have seen times like this. And I guess the the lesson I've learned in the past and I'd like to pass on to other folks is don't confuse activity with productivity. Just because you're very busy doing a lot of things and, you know, there's a lot of appointments and maybe you got a big backlog on work, whatever, but, you know, now's the time, you know, and you might be making money because there's more transactions, but are you making the right amount of money? You know, now's the time to make sure if, if there never ever was a time, now is the time to make sure your pricing is in line and you're getting the margins you need to get. Especially, you know, some industries are really being impacted by the cost of lumber and other building materials. For the most part, our costs have been pretty stable. But, you know, you just got to keep your eye on, on, on that because, you know, you may be busier than you've ever been and you're not really making the money you should make. And, you know, it'd be a tragedy to put all that effort in and then wind up with little when it's all said and done. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm asking people a lot is kind of the, it's the crystal ball question, you know, become a fortune teller. I I mean, how do you see this playing out? Do you see demand continuing or do you see a big, I don't know, maybe correction or normalization coming Do you feel that we are leveraging future business this year? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the the inventory of homes out there isn't getting any newer. It's getting older every day, right? And, I mean, we're seeing in our market homes that were built in the 90s and early 2000s are starting to become candidates for replacing windows and doors. In our case the builders put in the cheapest vinyl windows and vinyl patio doors they could and here in Southern California, starting in the mid nineties. And now they're 20, 25 years old and they're falling apart. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going in there and, and, and in our case, we, our product's not vinyl, it's a composite material. And it's a pretty powerful story to share with people that have a vinyl window that's failing and say to them, you know, most of them are not inclined to go back with the same type of product. So we have a different product, a different story. But when you look around the marketplace, I mean, most all of us are just individually as companies are are just like a little dot blip on the radar screen, you know, compared to what the potential market is. Now, I do believe that, you know, if the government keep going the way they're going, you know, interest rates are going to start to trickle up. And that's really put, going to put the brakes on on things that are happening because, you know, mortgages are still in the 3% range, give or take a little bit. And uh, if they start creeping up to high threes to four, four and a half percent, that's going to give cause for homeowners to have concern. You know, they're going to stop borrowing against the equity in their home. Maybe the growth of equity will slow down. So I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I just think, you know, there's an old saying, make hay while the sun shines, you know, and cash is king. So make money now. Don't squander it. Don't don't go out and do crazy things. You know, save some money, put some money away for a rainy day and make good decisions. And you will all be fine. You know, it's when we get quick rich overnight and we go out and buy all kind of bright, shiny objects and do crazy things. And then all of a sudden, you know, things slow down and then we start, you know, giving it all back, you know, so, so be, I would always say be frugal, you know, be frugal and the money you got under your mattress, no one can take it from, you know, you spend it, it's gone, you never get it back, you know, so not that you don't want to enjoy your life and have fun and do the good things in life, but just be frugal and be prudent and, and save some, put some away for a rainy day. Yeah. You know, this reminds me a little bit of the 2000s, the mid 2000s. And I actually, I'm updating our definitive guidebook, which that project started probably a year ago. And I think you, with your help, you wrote the forward for this book and we still have to send you the the final version of it. But I went in there and I, I basically had to rewrite the whole thing. And I used the example in there of that's about relationships, but relationships is one of the fundamentals of business. And I talked about, about your business back in like 07, 08, when times looked kind of like this and you had two dozen big competitors in your marketplace Yeah, that within a matter of what was it like a year or two? I mean, advertise, they stopped advertising and I'd be willing to bet only a couple of them are probably even still alive anymore. Right. As businesses. I've got a list of about 35 companies that were competing in our marketplace in about 2008. Yeah. That by about 2014 or 15, we're gone. Yeah. Some of, these, some of these were 30 year old businesses. Some of these were 30 month old businesses. You know, and, and I, I think it all goes back to, you know, if, if you build a home on a weak foundation, it's going to collapse more easily than if it's built on a solid foundation. The same thing for your business. If you know the numbers of your business, if you charge the right price, which is generally going to make you at the higher end of the spectrum in your market. 
you know, so that's why you got to have marketing and you got to have a sales process, sales system, and then you got to be able to deliver that customer experience. If you do those things, you know, and you understand the cost of your business, you make money, but you know, you can't be the low price leader, even the middle of the road price guy. And, and, you know, it'll eat you up and, and you got to be careful about overbuilding too much overhead, you know, yeah. I mean, being too careless and taking on too much fixed expenses, you know, and you want to stay limber and, you know, flexible as much as you can. So you can be adaptable, you know, that the, you know, the old story who moved the cheese, right? Well, the cheese is always moving and, and uh, you got to be uh, adapt to that cha- those changes and be flexible. And, you know, what worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. Uh, Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime. The only true does it all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. I, I want to be careful with this conversation. I always say it. it it's, I'm not doom and gloom. I'm right. opportunity. Let's learn from, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now. You're getting older now. We see these things, you know, come and go, come and go. They're cycles. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't see it. I didn't know, oh, this thing can blow up. You mean the whole thing can go away and we could be stuck in a recession. And so now what I'm trying to do is to help people to see that this is an opportunity, but but it's an opportunity to create that foundation, to get the fundamentals right. So that when things normalize, however they are going to normalize, you're not one of those 35 companies that you competed against that were literally gone within, what, five years. They were done, finished because of some of the things that you mentioned, not having the right price, not having the right profit model, the customer experience. You want to talk about, you know, I've asked you to talk about these things before, but I think we could talk about them over and over and over again. The fundamentals are the fundamentals of this business, aren't they? Yeah, the, fun, the fundamentals will always be there. And the reason the reason a business is in business is to make a profit. Without profits, you can't sustain the business. Mm-hmm. Profit, you know, a lot of people, a lot of owners don't want to talk about profit around their employees, don't want to share numbers. You know, I think that's a mistake. I mean, making profit is a good thing. There's not too many companies that don't make a profit and hang around. Now, there's some owners of businesses that, you know, make an okay living, but they're not really making profit. They're they're paying, they're creating a lifestyle for themselves. 
you know, and they're taking money out of the business to fuel that lifestyle, but they're not really making profit. They're not retaining earnings. They're not building money that they can invest in either growing the business and buying physical assets or putting money in savings or other outside investments. And that's the number one fundamental thing. And I mean, it took me a while to realize that. Now, I've told the story. I mean, for the first 11 years I was in business, I was a damn good contractor, but I was a lousy businessman. And it took an awakening, an event that happened to me that really woke me up. And and I wish I could have those 11 years back and, and, and know what I know now because I'd have a lot more money in a bank and would have been further ahead. But yeah, I mean, at the end, so, you know, and I, I talked to somebody recently and they were having a lot of success. And I said, well, what do you attribute your success to? And they said, I don't know. We don't know. And so if you're failing and you don't know why you're failing or if you're succeeding and don't know why you're succeeding, both of those are bad scenarios, you know? So if you're having success, you should know why you're having success. And look, from time to time, we all we all buy a winning lottery ticket, right? Or we all enter money into a raffle and we win, you know? But but business isn't shouldn't be like a, a thing of chance, right? It should be something you design and engineer to be profitable. And it shouldn't be like, I hope we make money this month. Hope we make money this, this quarter or this year. You should know based upon your your gross profit and your overhead expenses and your revenue, you should pretty much know what your profitability is going to be on any given period. And it shouldn't be a surprise to you that we made money or lost money. I mean, the exact amount might be a little elusive, but you know, you should pretty much know where you're going to wind up before you get there. And that comes from really understanding the numbers of your business. And when you do, then that kind of dictates the decisions you make about growing, adding overhead, uh, you know, what what your selling prices are, what your discount structures are, uh, you know. And then another thing, too, that I've seen recently from some other businesses that I'm, I have insight into is a lot of people have accounts receivable, which are growing. They're doing the work, but they're not getting paid or not getting paid completely. And, and you know, that can really be the kiss of death. So, you got to be diligent about collecting your money and completing jobs and completing them in a timely manner. And, and again, part of that is the customer experience. But, but you know, and, and companies that have high receivables generally don't have high customer satisfaction. Companies that have low receivables generally, you know, they get the job done right. They get it done the first time through or you know, maybe there's a loose end they take care of. But, you know, they're managing that and they're collecting their money. So if you're doing all this work. And you're keeping a lot of people busy and you're buying a lot of materials and you're employing a lot of people, but you know, you're still struggling to meet payroll and pay suppliers and overhead and your receivables are growing that there's, there's the eye is not focused on what it should be focused on. So that's, that's something I've seen lately with a lot of businesses that I'm familiar with where their, their AR is really growing, you know, and the older it gets the harder it is to collect obviously also. Yeah. Profitability. <laughs> I think people are starting to come around to the idea of a, we, you know, we got to run this business and it's got to be profitable. We have to understand our numbers. We have to understand pricing. I mean, you've seen it as much as I have people that work and work and work for years and years and years and just barely make a living in this business, even though they're turning millions of dollars a year. I, I guess for everybody, it's different, but there, there has to be some sort of awakening that happens that says, okay, enough is enough. 
I got to go do things different. You said after 11 years, that happened for you. I mean, it happened to me after I lost everything at 40 years old. I'm like, oh, crap, I can't do it this way. That was it. You know, I used my 20s and my 30s. So my 40s and 50s, I got to do it the right way. So I can't ever not make a profit again. I guess this is, you know, I, I, my message to people is it, it's good now, but don't let it, don't start to think that it's, you're better than you are. And I hate to say it that way. And it, but I was at an event, I was telling somebody this yesterday, I was at an event a couple of weeks back and I started to hear it. I started to hear it, you know somebody beating on their chest about how they've got 60 plus percent close rates and how good they are at this and how good they are at that. And I'm like, Oh boy, you know, that's like a formula for disaster. I would say if somebody has got a 60% close rate, they should probably raise their prices and lower their close rate to 30 or 35% and sell fewer jobs and make sell more profitable jobs. You know I mean? Because when you talk to people, the problem you hear everywhere is I can't get labor, right? I can't get help, right? So if you can't get help, you know, you can't get enough people to install the work, then why would you continue to sell stuff at a lower rate than you can? I'd rather pull my close rate down. I'd rather cut my marketing, raise my prices, and maybe not sell at 60, close at 60% and close at 30, 35, or 40 and sell fewer jobs, but more profitable jobs. And then then I don't need as many installation assets and installation people, and I can make a lot more money. I mean, most people would rather do less and make more than do more and make less, but but they get caught up in the business, you know, and, you know, this business can be like a drug, you know, it can be very addictive and I need more and more and we're chasing revenue and sales and, but the bottom line is the bottom line. And if if, if the bottom line isn't what it should be, you know, again, you might be taking money out of the business to, to live a nice, comfortable lifestyle, but are you really making money that you can hold on to and retained earnings, invest in real estate or, you know, put it in the stock market or dig a hole in your backyard and bury it, you know, or buy Bitcoin or, or whatever. But, you know, and, and again, it, it's saving for a rainy day. There will be a rainy day in our future. I don't want to be doom and gloom either. I'm, I'm, I think I try to be very positive, but I also try to be realistic. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world. I mean, who thought we'd have a worldwide pandemic? Yeah. You know, we were, most of us in this industry were fortunate in that we were determined to be essential, right? But look at the hospitality business, the, the restaurant business. Uh, look at how many businesses were impacted by this. And, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but who knows what's coming around the bend next. And, you know, if you if you have cash reserves, if you have money in the bank, you know, you're going to be in a lot better position than if you're leveraged and you don't. Profitability, you know, that's a big, it's, it's one of the big fundamentals. One of the other things you talk about a lot is customer experience and your relationship with your customer. It's no, you know, I, I don't make any secret of it. Charlie was G4's very first client, still is one of our top clients, but you are you're like really committed to this idea of customer relationships. It's not just about you know, how much business can I turn, but it's also what happens during that process. So what are some of the things that you're doing now 
to make sure that your customers are continuing to get your red carpet experience? Well, you know, going back, like I said, after 11 years in business, and I really realized I had to become a businessman and not just a good contractor, and I had to run the business by the numbers and start to learn the numbers. Shortly thereafter, it became obvious to me that I wasn't selling what I was selling at a high enough price, and I had to start raising my prices. And you know, at that point in time, we were we had we were selling the same products as our competitors. So we tried to differentiate on our service and things like that, but continue to have to raise prices to really run the business profitably and be able to have the resources to grow the business. And and it became obvious to me that I was going to have to be, you know, much higher priced than my competitors. And how could I justify being higher priced? Well, it really came down to what we call creating the best experience for the customer. And, you know, we started to really talk about what that was and define that and everything from showing up one time and treating the customer's property with respect and care, communicating clearly, kind of having being the high price, low risk contractor versus the low to moderate price, higher risk contractor. And, and it just took on a life of its own and it became part of the culture. And then we started talking about, we started talking about creating the best possible customer experience so with the idea that if customers did business with us, they would have the best possible experience you could have in our marketplace. And if you dealt, did business with a competitor, you would have settled for a less than best experience. And then we more, and we start talking about things as, well, that wasn't the best experience. What do we need to do to change it or you know, when something went sideways or didn't go as well as it could have. And we started doing autopsies on jobs. You know, we had a TQM meetings and we'd look at what went right, what went wrong, what didn't go as well as it could have, what can we learn from it? And then that became part of the culture. And then eventually we morphed it into what we call the red carpet experience, where we wanted our customers to feel like they were celebrities, like, like, just like on the Academy Awards or the Emmys or whatever, where they roll out the red carpet and, you know, the celebrities are walking down on the red carpet, everybody's taking pictures of them and trying to stick a microphone in their face and interview them and all. We wanted to make our customers feel like they were the focus of our attention, our entire team. And basically we wanted each customer to feel like that was the only customer we had, even though we were doing, you know, many jobs, but we didn't want the customer to feel like they were just another number. And, you know, I've had some personal experiences in my life where I've received that type of service and it feels really good. You know, it feels really wonderful. You know, and, you know, we've all, you know, bought things that were more expensive and then, you know, it feels if maybe it's an article of clothing and you, you put it on and you just feel better wearing it. You know, you know, you can go to the Ritz Carlton or you go to Motel 6, you still get eight hours of sleep, but it's just all entirely different feel. You know, I bought a, Years ago, I bought a Mercedes Benz, and the first Mercedes Benz I bought, and I went to this Fletcher Jones Motor Cars, and it was a totally different experience than a Chevrolet dealer, you know, or a you know a Ford dealer, a Chrysler dealer, and so just all those things led to us focusing on the customer, and and over the years now, we've built a culture where people are totally focused on the customer. We actually have red carpets that we roll out in the entryway of the customer's home. 
And, you know, and we get surveys back from customers say, boy, they really did roll out the red carpet and the sales rep wasn't kidding. And this is of all the home improvement experiences we've had. This was the best possible home improvement experience And they showed up on time. They were polite. They were courteous. They cleaned up. You know, we got, you know, we paid more than others, but we got every, you know, every bit of it was a great value and we'll be back to buy more. And so, so the reality of it is, is people will focus on price if that's all they understand. And I've always said in the absence of discernible differences, people always resort to the one thing they do know and understand, which is the difference in price. But when you can create discernible differences in your marketing and your sales and your relationship with the customer communication, installation, follow up, follow through, you know, you can command a higher price. And, you know, if you can differentiate with products and other things, that's even better. But it's still about the experience, you know, and, and you know, the story people long after people remember what you said or what you did, they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's the culture that we've been growing here for the last 20 years or so. And, you know, and actually, you know, your, your five in the one marketing program and follow up with the cookies and the thank you letters and the emails and all that stuff just really tied in with what we were doing at the right time. And now we've been doing it for one of 10, 11, 12 years, you know, and it's just part of, that's just another part of how, how we operate and what we do, you know, and it's, yeah, it adds a little bit of cost to the job, but the customer is ultimately paying for it and they don't mind paying for it when they're getting a great service, you know, and they, you know, you almost expect that, you know, when you're buying a premium product from a, from a premium company. Yeah. You know, you mentioned culture and I know that your people live and breathe the red carpet experience. Now I tell this story, I tell your story of how you introduced the red carpet experience to your people. Have I asked you to share that story here before? Do you remember? I don't think so. I don't think so. Do you mind sharing that story? I tell it all the time and hopefully I am not butchering it, but do you mind Uh, sharing it? So like I said, we were talking about creating the best possible experience. And then eventually I got this idea of the red carpet. And so to really make this tangible to our employees, and again, this was about maybe 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And, and at the time, I was also really into Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. And Jim Collins talks about, you know, the companies that went from good to great, got the right people on the bus, and then they got them in the right seats on the bus, and they got the wrong people off the bus. So, you know, and I, that was a lot of that was going through my head at the time. So, and every year we have a kickoff meeting in January where we get all our team together and we let, we re, do a recap of the previous year and we lay out all the goals and plans for the coming year. So I, and we usually do it on a Saturday morning. So I got this idea. So only one other person in the company really knew what I was doing. I, she was my confidant. She helped me organize it. So it was like, I've got January 5th of that year. It was a Saturday in early January and we arranged for, and a company was much smaller then, but we had about 45 employees and we arranged for a yellow school bus. We, we said the company meeting is this Saturday at seven o'clock. And when people arrived at our office, there was a yellow school bus outside. And Kathy was there and Kathy, people were looking at her and they said, she just said, get on the bus. So I wasn't there. 
So right away, where's Charlie? What's going on? And Kathy, just get on the bus. And even the bus driver didn't know where we were going. So, you know, we're in Laguna Hills and there's a Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Laguna Niguel that's about maybe 10, 12 miles away. So everybody finally gets there. It's about 7.15, 7.20 and the bus takes off and Kathy's sitting up front and, he's, and, and, and she says, you know, turn left here, go right here, whatever. And so it's about a, maybe a 20 minute journey to the Ritz-Carlton. So everybody, now they're in the bus and they don't know where they're going. And every, you know, I got salespeople, I got installation people, off people and are like, where are we going? Where are we, what, what's going to happen next? You know, there was a lot of angst and apprehension, you know, about, because they didn't know really what was going to happen next. And I, I had driven down to the Ritz-Carlton and it was a Saturday morning in January. It was a, a kind of close quiet. So I had these 10 foot long red carpets made up with, with our company logo on. And I had the bellman, I tipped the bellman. I said, look, there's going to be a school bus pull up here. And when they do, I want you to go over to the door of the bus and I want you to roll out these 10 foot long red carpets. And I had maybe 10 of them or 12 of them. I said, I want them to lead all the way into the lobby. So next thing you know, the school bus rolls up bus driver opens the door. The bellman starts rolling out these red carpets all the way into the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton. The employees are getting out like, what is going on? I mean, why, why are we here? And I was there and I just shook their hand and welcomed them. And they kind of walked into the lobby. And then we walked down the hallway and made a left and went over into this beautiful banquet room. And it was set up like with a U-shaped table. And there was coffee and orange juice and whatever. And then the way, after they were all set, a seat at the wait staff started bringing around platters with silver domes on them and, and removing them. And, you know, and they had this delicious Ritz Carlton meal with wait staff and, and everybody. So after, the, you know, and everybody's kind of like in amazement and wonder like, what is going on? Why? Well, we didn't expect any of this. So finally, when they were done, breakfast, I got up and I had a little screen set up there and I had a red carpet set in the middle of the room. And I said, I said, uh, you're probably wondering why I brought you here today and what this is all about. I said, let me ask you. I said, when you guys were on that bus, you didn't know where you were going. You didn't know what was going to happen next. How were you feeling? And people were like, I felt a little anxious or un unsure. And I, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. And I said, well, how do you think our customers feel when strangers show up to their home and they start removing windows and doors? You know, and I said, you know, there's anxiety, there's, there's apprehension, there's concern that I make the right decision. I said, and I said, quite frankly, I could have brought you to the Ritz Carlton or the Motel 6. The Ritz Carlton is $7.95 a night. The Motel 6 is $49.99 a night. You know, I said, when you, when you lay down and close your eyes, how do you know the difference? I said, but the ambiance, the, the atmosphere, the surroundings, the, the personal service, having these waiters with white gloves set down a platter in front of you. I said, I did this because number one, I want, I wanted you to feel this experience. And I said, this is the experience that we want to create for our customers. And I said, just like the bellman rolled out the red carpet for you and ran it all the way into the lobby of the Ritz Carlton. That's what we want to do with our customers. We want to roll out the red carpet for them literally and figuratively we want to make our customers feel like they're special. We want to put them on the red carpet. We want to 
you know, ease any of their fears or concerns. We want to alleviate any of their angst or apprehensions. And when it's all said and done, we want to make them forget about how much they paid and just remember how good we made them feel and how the whole experience was. And I said, so that that's really what this is all about. And so that's, that's, that's in a short way how we rolled it out to them. And, and then we've just been building upon that ever since 12, 13, 14 years later. Yeah. And what I always say about that story is that you could say to people, you could say to your people, oh, hey, now all of a sudden we're all about customer experience. We're going to do this red carpet experience. You made a beautiful brochure. You could have just handed everybody the brochure and said, okay, go and do it. But you know that had you done it that way, they wouldn't have taken it as seriously. And you would have gone into the into the warehouse and people, you know, your installers would have rolled back in and you would have about, hey, wait a minute, I, aren't there supposed to be red carpets in the back of your, your truck? And they would have said to you, oh yeah, Charlie, you wouldn't believe it if they flew out the back and, and how long has it been? And they just wouldn't have gotten it. And that thing would have been dead within six months, which is how it happens in a lot of companies. Right. But you, you demonstrated to them, hey, look, you were really serious about it. Uh, ultimately, you were serious. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And the program has worked. I think that was like 2010 or 2011 that you you did that because I remember you telling me about it um, anyway. But look how long that thing has lasted. Well, and the main thing was I wanted them to experience something different. That's right. Yeah. And and they're really something they would really feel good about. Something for for many. I mean, for a lot of these people, they would never think of going to a Ritz Carlton. They would, you know, they yeah. socioeconomically, you know. But I had my sales reps there, my sales manager, my off everybody there, installation people, and and it was it really made a tangible impression upon them. They still talk about it to this day. Yeah. You know, and then we did follow up meetings and follow in following years. You know, but we always you know, kind of reference back to that day and that time. And that was kind of a turning point. Like I said, I wanted it to be dramatic. I wanted them to actually feel the experience. Yeah. You know, and by them feeling the experience, hopefully they could understand how that's the way we want to make our customers feel. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a big turning point and really, it's a culmination of five or six years of focusing on the experience, but then the red carpet made it tangible. Yeah. Prior to then, it was just words and thoughts, but that made it tangible. The experience brought it home to them. And, and, and it then showed it, them you were serious. It showed them they were serious. I was serious. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I, I was deadly serious about it. And I really believe that that's what we had to do. It wasn't a gimmick. Yeah. It was really what we had to do to separate, separate and differentiate. And when we're out there charging a premium price, damn it, we better deliver a premium experience to the right. customer. And and by and large, we do and we have. And I think that's been a big part of our, you know, continued success. And then, you know, it was it was very dramatic for the people there at that time. For people that have joined us since then, and we've had lots of people join us since then, they just get acclimated. Now this is the culture. This is it's the way the culture, we do it. Right. They still hear about the Ritz trip to the Ritz Carlton on a Saturday morning in January, you know, but they didn't experience, but you know, they're acclimating into a new, a different type of culture. And most of them haven't worked in a business that has that focus on customer experience like we do, but you know, once in a while you got to weed out a bad egg, but, but for the most part, you know, 
they acclimate to it very easily because it's so ingrained into what we do and how we do it. Right. Right. So. Well, Charlie, thank you. Great hearing from you as always and learning from you. And, and I think one of the big things for the listener too is Charlie is never out to build a mediocre business. <laughs> you, you know, you could either have a really great business, you can have a mediocre business, or you can have a crappy business. And I think that it takes effort to, to build a great company. It takes an effort to put the fundamentals in place, but the rewards are, are definitely worth it. And, you know, in some small way, I'm hoping that by doing this, by putting this message out there and by saying, Hey, things are really, really, really good right now. Take advantage of it. This is an opportunity to make money to build that foundation, to develop those customer relationships, to put in those the processes that you need so that you'll have a business that will last like yours and has made you a very wealthy man. Yeah. I mean, Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great, said that the companies that went from good to great, they found their what he called their hedgehog concept. And their hedgehog concept was what, what can they do economic, what can they do that makes money? Okay. Then what can they do where they can be like number one or two in their market? Okay. And then the third one was, what are you deeply passionate about? So if you can find something that makes money that you can be the best at and that you love, your passion is there where those three intersect, that's your hedgehog concept. And for me, you know, this is what I do. I mean, I've told people it sounds a little bit corny, but, but you know, this, this is the only life I have. And, and, and doing things well is really important to me. And, you know, leaving a legacy is really important. You know, and I mean, when my father used to say, you never see the Brinks truck following the hearse, right? <laughs> so you can't take it with you. So it's when, when, when if they draw the final curtain, it's not what you have, but what you have done. And, and making a difference in customers' lives, making a difference in all your team members' lives, allowing people to, you know, buy cars and houses and have babies and furniture and vacations and have a career and belong to a stable company and company they can count on and believe in and save for retirement and do all those things. I mean, becoming a real company, you know, is, is really important. So, you know, I mean, I learn every day, but being the best you can and doing, making the mess, the best you can with the life you have to me is very important. And, you know, hopefully that, you know, that shows in the business that I run. I love it. Well, I appreciate you, Charlie. Thank you very, very much. And until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. 
In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Cascadalsio. 